jump right into it uh, because I feel uh, excited about being able to go back and finish off Mark chapter 2. We'll be back next week, uh, week number 5. We're going to finally get into Mark chapter 3. Uh, I knew this was going to be a lengthy series, so uh, we're going to keep going uh, into this and um, we're going to keep moving along as the Lord leads. And if we take us longer than expected, uh, I'm just going to trust and believe that the Lord is in all of this and he's in control. So it's week by week. So uh, I, I just could not, there were so many things the Lord gave to me. I just could not uh, feel a release to pass it up. So we're going to go right back into it. I know it was two weeks ago. I'm not going to read the entire chapter because we did that. Uh, but we're going to look at the beginning of Mark chapter 2, and I want to read to you um, the story in which I want to focus on today. Remember the context again, Mark chapter 1. We have some really important events that take place. Uh, we've got uh, the baptism of Jesus. We've got the temptation that takes place into the wilderness. Uh, and then Jesus comes back. He goes to the Capernaum region. Things start happening, uh, spirits being cast out, people being healed. It creates this massive, uh, huge um, uh, attention in the city, so much that by the end of chapter 1, he sort of goes outside the city. And then when he returns into the city, this is where we pick up uh, the story. Now, last uh, two weeks ago, I keep saying last week, last week was 4th of July, two weeks ago, when we focused on this, we ended up getting more into the the calling of Matthew. We talked to how that tied into the calling of John and James and Peter and Andrew. But I really want to focus on this beginning story here in the uh, first 12 uh, books, uh, 12 chap uh, verses here in chapter 2. It's one of my favorite stories in all the Bible, to be honest with you. I love this story, but I want to read it again to you. If you haven't heard it before, uh, I want to read it to you again. So we're in Mark chapter 2, uh, verse number 1. It says, and again, and, and again he entered into Capernaum after some days, and it was noise that he was in the house. And straightway many gathered together insomuch that there was no room to receive them, no, not so much as about the door. And he preached the word to them. And there came, and there came unto him, and they came unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four, not born as in B-O-R-N, but B-O-R-N, mean carried, brought in by four men. And then when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was, and when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. When Jesus saw their faith, I love that word, when Jesus saw their faith, we're going to get back to that in just a minute. When Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins are forgiven thee. But there were certain of the scribes sitting there reasoning in their hearts, Why doth this man speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? And immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned within themselves, he said unto them, Why reason ye these sayings in your heart? Whether it is easy to say, uh, to the sick of the palsy, thy sins be forgiven, or to say, Arise, take up thy bed, and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. He saith to the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise, take up thy bed, and go thy way unto thy house. And immediately he rose, took up his bed, went forth before all, insomuch that they were all amazed, glorified God, saying, We never saw it 
it it we never saw it on this fashion now uh, if you go back two weeks ago we kind of carried that on we get into the story of the calling of matthew uh we get into some other things we're going to park it right there today because uh, this is mark and we're calling it a life application series there's so many aspects of this particular story we find in mark uh that uh is so applicable to us today um, now, maybe some of the details of it, of it we've never experienced before, but uh, there's so many things about this that paints, paint such an amazing picture. Now, we kind of contrasted that last time with sort of the two houses, and I'm not going to go sort of the, the idea of the sort of the negative spin, uh, looking at it from a different lens uh, like I did two weeks ago. We're going to try to stick with just the, 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 the scene that surrounded uh, this house. Now, let's paint that for a moment. You and I just kind of work with this together. Again, remember, we're reading Mark as if we're reading it for the very first time. So uh, I'm sure some of you have already read this story and you sort of have already imagined what it would have been like. But let's try to go back and revisit again, revisit, uh, revisit it again with fresh eyes. These four men bring a man up to this house where Jesus is currently sitting talking with a large group of people to the point that when they walk up to the house with their friend who is lame, there is literally no way to get into the house. When I think of that, I picture uh, there are people literally standing room only, spilling out the front door, peeking in the windows, uh, anywhere they could get a glimpse of Jesus, they were literally covering the house. That's the image I get. And so when they walk up to the house and they sort of look at things uh, that I don't know what the conversation must have gone like. I don't know whose idea it was. I don't know if it was one of the friends who said it or if it was uh, one of, uh, if it was the the, the, uh, the, the the sick man himself. But somebody had the crazy idea. Think about this. It's crazy. To carry this guy, he couldn't walk, he was on a stretcher. Uh, if you know anything about ancient architecture, uh, these roofs were not super structurally sound. Um, I don't know if there was a ladder nearby. I don't know how they got up there, but somebody had the crazy idea, look, in that way, there's another way. It's crazy to think that because I have to be frank with you for a moment. If I would have walked up to the house, and many of you would have walked up to the house, and we would have saw that the house was already filled, more than likely 99% of us would have turned away. Now, I know we read the story, and uh, we're all like, no, I would, have been, I, I would have been on the roof too. I don't think we would have. We live in a world where, we are, where convenience is supreme. I mean, I, I, I am really enjoying this idea that when you shop, you don't even have to get out of your car, right? A couple weeks ago, my wife was getting some things for my girls, and she literally went on the Target app, clicked a couple things. We never had to leave our couch. We hit the button. We ordered it. About an hour later, we get an alert. Your order's ready. We got in the car, drove up, hit the button. We're here. A guy comes out, hands us the bag. We leave. I mean, come on. That is fantastic. Think about this now. We have we don't have to leave our car. Now we've got places that literally bring us food. 
I think I can't remember if it's Dash In or Uber Eats or one of the one, not Dash In, Dash In's the uh, gas station, DoorDash or Uber Eats, one of them, you can get food delivered to you from 7-Eleven. Meaning like if you're have a hankering right now watching me, you have a hankering for a Snickers bar. You don't even have to leave your seat. You can keep watching me. While you're watching me, you can go on your phone and say, my goodness, there's nothing like watching Pastor Joel and having a Snickers bar, but I don't want to leave Pastor Joel because he's really got my attention right now, but I really want that Snickers bar. Let me order that right now. And about probably 30 minutes, you're going to be able, by the time I get to the end, of this today, you're going to have your Snickers bar. Think about that. You don't even have to leave your house anymore to do about 90% of the things that most of us do. Most of us, a lot of us, I say it's, it's changing back to uh, pre-COVID now, but for a lot of us, we spent days not even leaving our house. We worked from our home. Food was delivered to our home. Think about the world of convenience. It cracks me up. It's so funny, and maybe you've done this, and if you've done this, I'm not knocking you for doing it, because I've probably done it. It just makes me laugh. If you go to an airport, airports have moving walkways. Other places have it, but airports are the ones where I've encountered it the most. They have these things called moving walkways. Basically, if you've never seen a moving walkway, it's pretty much a flat escalator, right? So an escalator is a moving stairway. Well, a moving walkway is just basically an, an, an escalator that doesn't go up. It just goes straight. And it's built so that if you're walking in the airport down these really, 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 really long stretches where you're trying to get to your airplane uh, so that you can depart, uh, that you can get on these moving walkways and it will speed up. I mean, it will speed up. You, when you're walking at a normal place on the moving walkway, I mean, you're double-timing it down, um, down the airport. Now, what cracks me up, though, and if you've done this, I'm not knocking you. Maybe you had a physical problem or your foot hurt or you just weren't able to walk, so this was a welcome relief, and if that's the case, God bless you. But I've seen some healthy people, okay, people with two good feet, two good legs, get on that moving walkway and literally stand there and just... And what's silly, everybody that's not on the walkway is walking faster than them, but they're standing. And I'm like, we don't even have to walk anymore. Our life is so cupcake, we don't even have to move our feet. And think about that. So we're not living in the same world they're living in. We're living in a completely different world. I get frustrated when I have to wait in line for six minutes at McDonald's. I get frustrated when I load up my computer or my phone and it doesn't immediately turn on. And y'all remember back in the day when, I mean, it was, it took a while to get your computer on. Or how about this? The next time you go to a website and it doesn't respond quite quickly enough, go back to the old DSL dial-up days. You remember those days for those of you that remember those? Some of you young folk probably don't appreciate what we have now with your super fiber optic Comcast or Verizon high speed internet. But back in the day, man, the internet, it was. And you get on there and you'd hit on, hit a page and it would just take days to load one page. Now I get frustrated if it takes a, a one one thousandth of a second. 
So that mentality, I don't know if it would have fit in this moment quite well. To be frank with you, if I'd have walked up to that, I would have possibly said, you know what? I guess today's not the day. Well, I guess maybe, uh, maybe, maybe not today, buddy. I'm sorry. I know you're sick, my friend, but uh, apparently today's not the day. That probably would have been the response for most of us. Now I get it. I know I can hear some of you going, nah, Jesus is in the house. I'm going to get in the house. Wherever Jesus is, I'm going to the house. That's what you say, but my goodness, when's the last time you showed up at church on time? Mm, you want to preach a little bit? I'll preach with you. Hallelujah. When's the last time? I mean, come on. It was one thing to be late when we actually are in person, but people now are late when we're online. All you got to do is hit a button from your PJs. People still late, but yet we're going to be right there on time for Jesus because he's in the house. I don't think we would. So let's stop pretending we would have been like this and see what was it about these men that made them desire to take their friend on the roof to get to see Jesus. Because I have to be frank with you, I don't think you and I would have done the same move. I don't think you and I would have gone to the roof. So it tells me some things. Not only, we're going to get to this in a minute, because it's, it's, we're going to talk about these four individual men and, and the challenge that is to us today. But before we get that, let's just look at something here. When you walk up to the house and the house is filled with people and there seems to be no entrance, there's still a way to get to Jesus. You see... Sometimes God's ways aren't always the most convenient. And sometimes God's ways aren't always the most obvious at the start. We always are looking for the obvious answer. And God often lives in the unobvious areas. God often looks in the hidden doors. We're looking for the bright lights, the neon, the flashing. That's definitely God. That's definitely God. But God often lives in the unorthodox places. Don't forget, it was Jesus who spit on the, his, his spit in some dirt, rubbed mud on a guy's eye to heal him of being blind. God doesn't always work in a perfect world, in a perfect scenario, with a perfect story, and a Hollywood script. Sometimes, and a lot of times, God goes off script to work. Not every opportunity, not every door with God is obvious at first. That's why we walk by faith. We'll get to this in a minute. We walk by faith and not by sight. Because sometimes when I look at my situation, I don't see a door, but my faith says there's still a door. Mm, I know I'm supposed to be teaching and not preaching, but you got to give me every once in a while. I just got to get it out. It comes out in me. Sometimes my, when I look at things, my eyes say one thing, but I've got to close my natural eye and open up my spiritual eye because my natural eye says there's no way. But my spiritual eye, my faith says, if there is a way, God will make a way. Some of you are looking at some situations right now. You're walking up to your house. You're walking up to a house and, 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 and you're seeing things and you're judging your circumstances. You're judging your situation. You're judging God's faithfulness. You're judging your destiny. You're judging your calling. You're judging where you're at by what you can see. But what you can see is not always God's way. 
Remember the story of the, of the young man who went to the prophet. He was freaked out because he said, prophet, look out there. There are, there are, there are thousands of enemy soldiers. What are we going to do? There's nobody here. And, and he, the prophet just all cool and collected said, Lord, open his eyes. And God opened his eyes and he could see God's armies. And when he said, saw God's army, he goes, what is there to worry about? Sometimes you got to get out of your natural mind and get into your spiritual mind. That's why we are to walk in the spirit, be led of the spirit, because my spirit and my faith are going to see things I can't see with my natural eye. If those guys would have judged their circumstance and their situation by their natural eye, they would have walked away and that man would have stayed sick. But I don't know which one it was. I don't know if it was a collective, uh, a collective story or the man with the, with, who was sick who said it. But somebody stopped looking with their natural eye and looked up and saw something and said, Hey, I'm seeing with faith. I'm not seeing with my eyes. I'm seeing with faith. We walk by faith, not by sight. I'm telling somebody today. I'm trying to tell somebody today. You've dismissed your future, you've dismissed things. You've said, no, it's not going to happen. It can't happen. Look, I here's what I see. And I'm telling you today, shut your natural eye and open up your spiritual eye and let God show you where there seems to be no door. Some doors aren't always obvious. Turn to your neighbor if you're sitting next to somebody or just maybe you need to tell yourself to say, you know what? It's time to look for another door. Now, I'm not talking about going down and beating things and making it happen and making your way. We still have to walk with Jesus and be led of Jesus. But sometimes we've got to look for another door. Sometimes the door that God wants us to walk into is not the most obvious. Sometimes the door that we walk into is not the first place we go to. It's not the first job we apply to. It's not the first house we walk into. It's not the first time we walk in. See this. Sometimes God wants to say, wait a minute. My door is not going to be obvious at first. My my door may be hidden as a roof, but it's really a door. My door may look like an obstacle, but it's really an opportunity. Whoo, I feel some Jesus coming right now. Somebody, I can feel it. If you would let the Holy Ghost help you today, God's trying to turn some things in you. He's trying to show you something different. He's trying to get you to realize, wait a minute, what I've been seeing is only what my natural mind can see. But God is trying to show me something today in my spirit. If you're looking at a pain today and the doctor saying, sorry, there's nothing we can do. You're going to have to live with it. Start looking with your spiritual eye, not your natural eye. If you don't know what you're going to do, if there's a circumstance in your life right now that seems as if all things are pointing to a house crowded and there's no room, lift up your head today. And say, God, I believe there's still another door. I believe, we say it, there's, when he will make a way where there is no way. He'll make a way out when it seems like there is no way out. Sometimes with God, there are things that he does that don't seem obvious at first. The second part about this is, it could not have seemed like a good idea at first. We want to take a sick man who's lame. We want to climb on a roof with him. And we want to do what? You want to take this dude on top of the roof? If I'm correct, I'm, I'm, I'm hearing what you're saying. There's always one. There was four guys there and, and the crippled guy there. So there's got to be some. There's always a skeptic. I get it. There's always one. One of those guys, and you, you might have been one of those. You might have said, listen, I don't know if it was 
John or Bill or Sam or Ted, I don't know which one of the guys had the idea. Hey, look, let's climb on the roof. We can get him in that. We can get him down through the roof. And one of those guys had just said, uh, time out. Do you think this is a good idea? Uh, because we're taking uh, our friend uh, Jimmy here, who's already sick and can't walk. We're going to try to carry him up there. We're going to kill the poor guy just trying to get him healed. This doesn't seem like a good idea. Can I tell you something today? There's a lot of things that Jesus takes us through that don't seem like good ideas at first. The Bible is filled with a lot of bad ideas. We want to feed 5,000 with five loaves and two fishes? Bad idea. Bad idea. We want to march against the walls of Jericho that are so thick they run chariots on top? Seems like a bad idea. We want to take the children of Israel out of Egypt, out of bondage? Seems like a bad idea. We're stuck at the Red Sea. Pharaoh's coming. See, I told you this was a bad idea. Go look at it. The Bible is filled with bad ideas. Wait a minute. Time out. You're a shepherd boy with no military training. All you've been doing is sitting there counting sheep, and you want to take on Goliath? This is a bad idea. You know what? Sometimes you're... Friends and the people around you are going to tell you, listen, this is a bad idea. But sometimes you don't need a bad idea. You need a God idea. Not every bad idea is bad because there are some ideas that seem like crazy to you, but there are God ideas. Come on, I know some of you know what I'm talking about. You know there have been things that have popped in your head and you went, man, really? Should I? I can't do that. That's crazy. If I did that, I would. If this, ha if I did that, and 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 it went wrong, then this. And God's like, no, no, no. Come on, come on. I, I don't don't look with your natural eye. It, your natural eye is going to tell you it's a bad idea. But hey, Peter, come on. I know your natural your natural eye is telling you this is a bad idea. M man can't walk on water. But I'm telling you. Get your eyes right here. Look at me, because I'm about to turn your bad idea into my idea. Some of you are dismissing things. Hey, let's be frank. You're dry, you're out. You're out, and and you get that voice says, "Go go pray with that person." Pray with that. Pray. Are you what? That's a bad idea. What if they reject me? What if they think I'm crazy? What if they think I'm one of those crazy Jesus nuts? What if I pray for them and and I say something wrong? bad idea. Just like it was a bad idea to climb up on a roof with a man who couldn't walk. Seemed like a bad idea. But what they did not realize is there was a healing on the other side of the bad idea. Four leopard men say, you know what? If we stay here, we're going to die. If we go into the city, they're already dead. We can't do that. If we go towards the enemy camp, it's probably a bad idea. But sometimes a bad idea is the only option you have.
Some of you are waiting for everything to work out. Well, you know what? God does this. And when God does that, and when if God wanted me to be healed, he would make a way where there was no way. And all of a sudden, people would turn around and say, hey, let me in. This guy needs to be healed. And all of a sudden, the house would empty out. And I'd walk up to Jesus, and it would be a wonderful, beautiful story. It doesn't always work that way. Sometimes God's going to say, hey, there's a roof. Wait a minute, God, what do you mean a roof? I want to go through the door. No, 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 not every door I want you to walk through is the door you want to go through. Sometimes you're going to be looking for a door and I'm going to be calling you to a roof. But God, what if I fall off? What if I can't climb? What if, God, something happens? What if? Yeah, but what you don't realize is there's a healing, there's a miracle, there's a deliverance on the other side of your bad idea. Or what you think is a bad idea, what you think is the end, what you think is going to completely be the thing that destroys you is actually what God is wanting you to do because on the other side of that bad idea is a God idea. Somebody needs to hear what I'm telling you today. The Holy Ghost is trying to get somebody because you've been dismissing some things. You've been, you've been casting them off saying, there's no way I can't do that. There's no way. God, you can't ask me to do that. God, if I do that. What do you mean you wanted me to give you uh, profit the last of my meal? If I give you this, if I give you the little bit of oil I have left, the little meal, of meal I have left, I'm going to die. My children are going to die. It's a bad idea to give you what I have because if I give you that, I've got nothing left. It's a bad idea. But the prophet said, not every bad idea is a bad idea. And the widow woman gave him a little bit of oil she had left and made him a cake. And the Bible says every time she went back, there was something there. On the other side of her bad idea was a lifetime of provision that could not have been released until she was able to say, you know what? Some bad ideas may look like a bad idea, but it's ultimately a God idea. Some of you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, hear what I'm trying to say to you this morning. Some of you have been dismissing a bad idea, thinking there's no way God could be asking me because that's a bad idea. But what you don't realize, there is something waiting for you on the other side of a bad idea. I got a little test for you. Next time you say something in faith and someone says to you, that sounds like a bad idea. Don't even hesitate. Don't even blink. Say, Lord, thank you for the confirmation. This is you. Hey, you know what? I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go do this, or I believe God's called me to do this. And like, no, that's a bad idea. Go, thank you for confirming. It is definitely God. Because you know what? You're telling me it's a bad idea? Sounds like a God idea. You know, I, I think I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna do this. I think God's called me to do that. I think I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna step out of here in faith. I'm gonna go do this. Oh no, that's a bad. No, no, no. You know, you do that. You're probably gonna fail. You know, you do that. That's probably not gonna work out. You go ahead and keep your bad idea, but I'm gonna walk to Jesus on my bad idea. I think somebody can feel it. God's trying to get somebody to open up your eyes today and say, wait a minute, it may seem like a bad idea to you, but there's something waiting for you on the other side of your bad idea. So get it. These guys climbed up a roof. Terrible idea. Terrible Get on top of that roof 
and they let down their friend right to the feet of Jesus. Now, apparently, either they stayed on the roof or they climbed down too. Because here's the kick. I love this. I read it to you earlier. I'm going to read it to you again because it's just one of the most powerful words in Scripture. Love this. Verse number 5. It says, when Jesus saw their faith. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the lame man, your sins are forgiven. That one act, that one moment tells me so much about faith. It tells me, one, faith should have visible fruit. Faith is not internal. Faith is not quiet. Faith is not something that stays hidden. Faith is something that should be seen. And do you know that your faith can affect others? Jesus, get this. We're going to, there's so many different little things here we're going, to, we're going to try to unpack here in the next few minutes. You've got to look at just by this one little encounter. He saw their faith. We're looking at this moment here. Comes down out of the roof. He sees their faith and then turns because of seeing their faith, forgives. I get this. He forgives the lame man. Now we know we get into this whole thing about forgiveness versus healing, but this is powerful for a moment. He forgives the man because of seeing their faith. Now I'm not suggesting, or is the text suggesting that someone can be saved based off your decision? The Bible says today is the day of salvation. It's a, it's, it's a, it's an act. It's, 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 it's a you act. However, your faith can affect somebody else's decision. Let me ask you this. Can the people on your job see your faith? Can the people in the store see your faith? Can the people in your neighborhood see your faith? I got another one. Can your family see your faith? Can your wife see your faith? Can your husband see your faith? Can your kids see your faith? Mm. See, we like talking about all the other stuff because we can justify it, but you get down where we're living. Can you see? Well, my faith is a quiet thing. I'm, I'm more of an internal person. I'm more of a person. I'm more reserved. No, nah, it doesn't work that way because the Bible says faith without works is dead. You just have some dead, smelly, rotten faith. Faith should be visible. Go back and read it. We're going to get into it in the rest of Mark. So many examples of it, but the gospel is filled with visible faith. The woman with the issue of blood, finding her way to Jesus. That's visible faith. The man crying out, Jesus, the son of David, have mercy on me. The blind man, that's visible faith. Visible faith. Faith should be something that could can be seen. So faith takes something out of the spiritual and makes it visible in the natural. Faith is something that should be lived out. That's the problem. We have too many people walking around saying they have faith, but they're not showing their faith. 
Scripture says, you show me your faith without your works, I'll show your faith by my works. Meaning proof's in the pudding. Oh, I've got faith. I've got faith, but you walk around depressed. You walk around sad. You walk around overwhelmed. You walk around uh, worried. You walk around always looking for the, the glass half empty. You walk around waiting for the shoe to drop, the ball to drop, right? That's not faith. Your faith can be visible. And can the people around you, family, friends, coworkers, neighbors, can they see their faith? Because it might be the visibility of your faith that will make them find their way to Jesus. Oh, I love it. In fact, we can sit and I'm going to talk to the church folk for just a moment. But we can sit around and go, well, the world doesn't want what we have. Or the world, they're never going to want it. Maybe because they don't want it because they've been watching you and they don't want it. Paul said, we are, we, are, uh, we, are, we are living epistles, read of all men. Meaning, we're writing our own book of the Bible through our life. Can someone read your story and find Jesus? Can someone see your faith and be drawn to Jesus? Because notice, it was their faith and the visibility of their faith that brought him to a place of forgiveness with Jesus Christ. I got to be frank with you, if we were honest with ourselves, more than likely, our faith is not taking people to Jesus. Our faith is probably in some ways leading them away. Because instead of our faith being visible, our doubt is visible. Our fear is visible. Our worry is visible. The works of our flesh are visible. Our faith remains hidden. That's something we do in church. That's something we do behind closed doors. That's something we do in our prayer closet. That's something we do at small group. That's something we do at our, at our private time when we're surrounded by other faith-filled friends. But faith is not something we live out. So the Bible says Jesus saw their faith, forgave their sin, forgave his sins. Then this whole big uproar happens back and forth, this sort of like freak out moment. Wait a minute, who is he to forgive sins? And Jesus kind of gets back into this point here. And finally at the end he goes, what's harder? Just to say, forgive sins or to be healed? You know what? Rise up, take up your bed, be healed. You know what really Jesus was saying? That your natural condition is not more important than your spiritual condition. You see, it's usually a natural problem that draws us to Jesus, but he doesn't fix the natural problem first. He usually addresses the spiritual problem. Think about it. How many of you found God when everything in your life was perfect? How many of you came to Jesus Christ when all of your world was absolutely pristine and no problems? No you usually come to Jesus because your life is a mess. You usually come to him, and when you come to him, you don't come to him. He goes, you know what? All right. Everything in your life is going to be great now. Oh, by the way, when you get around to it, let me talk to you about the sins. Let me forgive you of your sins. No, when you come to him, usually, sometimes, and a lot of times, he leaves the mess the way it is. But he forgives you because ultimately you're 
inner man is more important than your external man. Your inner world is more important than your external world. And Jesus is illustrating this point right here in Mark chapter 2. And you know what's really funny? We know this. A lot of us who've walked, we know this. But yet, how much do we spend on trying to make this world better and so little time on this world in here? Because you know what, ultimately? That man could have been saved from that bed. That man could have could have gone into heaven from that palsy. But the Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Yeah, you know what? There's some things in my life I would love to see God fix. But in the end, if he doesn't fix it, Lord, I just want to be saved. Yeah, there's some things in my life I'd love for him to address. But you know what? I can still make it without with those things. There's some pain in my body. There's some things from my past. There's some current situations. God, if you could fix them, that would be awesome. But if not, this has got to stay right. This has got to stay connected. It's amazing to me how easily we allow this to affect this. Because let's be frank. Let's get back in the real world again. Let's get back to some real circumstances. If we had been that guy on the cot and Jesus would have said, your sins are forgiven. You're like, hold on, time out. Hold the horses. My sins. Have you not noticed I'm on this cot? I can't I'll walk. I've been like this since I was born. You know, I got the sin thing. That's fine. But look, yo, my brother, I'm in, I'm, I, I need your help. That's what a lot of us would do. Think about it. Think about how you respond when things in your life don't go the way you want. Think of your attitude towards God when things in your life don't line up the way you want them to line up. Think how quickly you get mad at God. God, wait a minute. Uh, you, you know, this is not fair. Why is this happening to me? Look at this. Why is this? No, 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 no. Pout. You know what this really showed? When you look at the story, that our, our biggest problem is not our circumstances. Our biggest problem is not our legs. Our biggest problem is not where we are. Our biggest problem is a God problem. Can I be honest with you? And I know this is not going to make some of you happy and you're going to disagree with me. Your biggest problem is not your spouse. Your biggest problem is not your job. Your biggest problem is not where you live. Your biggest problem is not your circumstances. Your biggest problem is not the hand you've been dealt. The biggest problem is not all the things that have happened to you. Your biggest problem is not all the things you've used in the past as an excuse. Your biggest problem is a you and God problem. It really is a you and Jesus thing. And Jesus was trying to illustrate the point for me to kill you. Come on. You want him healed? Rise up, take up your bed and walk. Rise up, take up your bed. You're good. But if you really want to get into the most important thing here, let's talk about you and me. You see, it's amazing that right now God answered every prayer you had, you prayed in the last week. It would have changed your life 
but for how long? If God answered your top five prayers right now, what would be more effective? What would be more affected? In here or out here? Think of the top five prayers you, you've got on your list right now. Now, don't get all, some of you getting really spiritual, man. I can tell you. Well, my top five right now is harvest and revival, world peace, love and happiness and harmony for the world. Seriously, come on. Think about the five prayers right now you're, you're praying for. Those of you right now, let's just use this because so many of us battle with some kind of physical pain, a lot of chronic pain. It's miserable. It's with you every day. Some of you battle with chronic neck pain. Some of you have some conditions in your body that bring pain. Miserable. You have to take medication. You have to kind of manage it. It's a miserable thing. And it would be fantastic today. If we could bind together, we could pray with you, and God would heal you. Wow. Tremendous, right? And I mean that to be negative. There are tremendous miracles that I have witnessed in my own life, and I've watched God perform and done, and it's tremendous. But how long do you think it would take from that moment of healing until something else in your life became the new struggle. How long? A day? A week? A month? Tops? I'm not suggesting we don't seek the Lord, we don't believe, we don't walk in faith, we don't confess faith. I'm not suggesting we somehow change that. But none of that should be a bigger priority than your condition with God. Talked about a lot of things this morning. We've gone down a lot of different roads and hopefully something that's been said already today has encouraged you and challenged you. But ultimately, all of us need to stop for a moment and take a look at this. Because let's just say for a moment, what's the biggest miracle of that day? Now I know again, for our standpoint, we know, right? Well, the biggest miracle is the fact that sins were forgiven. But remember, we're reading Mark for the very first time. We don't know anything. The biggest miracle would have seemed to have been the fact that this crippled man was amazingly healed. That seems to be to be the great miracle. But we all know that the greatest miracle of that moment was the forgiving of sins. The Bible says that all of heaven, literally, I, I mean, this, this, this passage of scripture just staggers. It's just staggering to me when I think about it. The Bible says that all of heaven comes to a stop and rejoices when one, one sinner 
finds forgiveness. That is so staggering to me. Heaven that is filled with so much beauty and wonder. Heaven that is literally the place where, where, where God abides, stops for one person who finds Jesus Christ. First of all, what does that tell me my priority should be on? I believe the church should be a part of helping show the love of Christ, helping in the community, being a part of serving in the community. We're going to be doing a lot of that stuff here at Antioch West. It's a passion and the thing that needs to be a part of the church. The church should be missional. The church should be out there. The church should be focusing on 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 being that being that that light to G of Jesus Christ, but not just simply our good church services, but by how we act, by our representation and our desire to show love. Absolutely. But if that's all we do, we're just a good charitable organization. Yeah, we can do those things and they may make an impact here or there, but really there's a lot of amazing humanitarian organizations that do some awesome stuff in this world. There's some nonprofits that are absolutely making a huge difference in, in, in many different areas of need whether it's taking care of children or taking care of the homeless or helping with the elderly, some tremendous organizations. The church is not called to be another humanitarian aid effort. The church is not called to be another nonprofit organization who's helping the needy. The church is ultimately called to be a place that brings people to that place of Jesus Christ. The reason our faith should be visible is because it's the visible parts of our faith that will help Jesus, help people find that place of forgiveness with Jesus Christ. It's not good preaching. It's not good singing. It's not dynamic uh, presentations. It's the visibility of our faith. So if all of heaven stops for that one sinner, shouldn't the church's focus be on that single event? If everything in heaven comes to a stop because of that one singular event, why wouldn't the church literally eat, sleep, and drink the thing that makes heaven come to a stop? But on the other side, as individuals today, if all of heaven comes to a stop and rejoices because one person finds forgiveness, Why would I want God to fix anything out here without first addressing what's in here? You see, oh, Lord, help us today. The big problem right now, some of you are so frustrated with God because you've been asking God to fix some things. And it doesn't seem like no matter how you ask him, you can beg, you can plead, you can have faith, you can confess, you can fast, you can pray, you can go to this person for counseling and that person for counseling. You go to this preacher and that preacher and this church and that church. It doesn't seem like anything. God just doesn't seem to. He like wants to fix any of it. You know why? Because you're not fixing the wrong thing. You're trying to get all this and you're not saying, okay, Lord, you got to start with I wonder if we can take a clue 
from this message today, from this passage of scripture today, and all of us take a fresh look and say, God, would you search me? Because I know ultimately you and I have got to be on the same page. Whether you heal, whether you deliver, whether you change, whether you answer, none of that matters. I want to make sure that you and I are on the same page. Some of you have some unforgiveness towards God. You don't like the way he's running your life. You don't like the things that have happened in your life. You don't like the way life's turning out. You don't like the things that have decisions have been made or things have been out of control that has led you to some areas of life that you never imagined and you're frustrated and you're angry and you're taking that out on God. Can I tell you, my friend, that's not going to fix it. Some of you need to start and say, Lord, I want to start by saying I forgive you. Wait a minute. God's the one that forgives sin. Yeah, but you can't get your sins forgiven if you're holding on to unforgiveness. So some of you, before God can fix you, you're going to have to release God and say, God, I want to say I forgive you because, God, I've been mad at you. I've been frustrated with you. I've been angry at you. I've accused you because I don't like this. I don't like that. I don't like this. You fill in the blank. And when you do that, it's going to release God to be able to work in your life. Let's follow what Jesus did with this young man. And let's recognize something. That ultimately, it's a us and God problem, first and foremost. Everything in my life that I am praying about, every single problem, every single difficulty, every single decision, every single moment should always start with me and him. But you don't know what I'm going through. Doesn't matter. Got to start with you and him. But you don't know how this is affecting me. You're right. But it's got to start with you and him. Because if you don't get this right, none of this matters. Because if he'd have left that day with a healed legs, but an unforgiven heart, where would it have gotten him? Yeah, he just skipped away going, I'm healed. But where would that have gotten him? He'd have been better leaving there, being carried out with his sins forgiven, than walking out on two healed legs with a heart still stained with sin. Romans chapter 8, uh, this is not in Mark, but Romans chapter 8 says it so beautifully here. Romans 8 gives us this wonderful description who can separate us from the love of Christ? Tribulation. Think of all these things. These are things you pray about. These are things that you need God to deal with. And they're saying none of this should separate you. Can it separate you? According to this view, no. But does it separate us? Absolutely, because we make these things bigger than God. Here's the list. Ready? Tribulation, distress, Persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, or sword. As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, and all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I'm persuaded. Here we go. Here's a good, another good list. That neither death, kind of right at the top, right? Life, angels, principalities or powers, 
things present, things to come, height, depth, or any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's a promise to you and I that none of these things will ever keep God from working in our life, from loving us to forgiving us. So why do we struggle? We struggle because tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sore, life, death, angels, principalities, powers, things present, things to come, height, depth, and other creatures. We let these things separate us. God's not separating us. We're separating ourselves. There's a promise. He said, lo, I'll be with you always. He didn't say, I'll change it. I'll heal you. He said, I'll be with you always. Why would Jesus have to make that promise if everything in your life was going to always be perfect? He made that because he knew there would be some times where the only thing you had to hold on to is, I have you, Jesus. And if I have you, I've got everything. You know the old saying that you see on a bumper sticker? He who dies with the most toys wins. We all laugh at that because we know how preposterous it is. But yet we live by that motto. Because if you look at the time way we spend our time, our talents, and our treasure, we are building it trying to accumulate so much because we want to be able to have that achievement when we die. But in the end, if I could just have him, I've got everything. That's not semantics, that's truth. That's not pie in the sky, that's reality. Just give me Jesus. That's all I want. You know what this story really shares with me today? I just need Jesus. Nothing more, nothing less. Just give me Jesus. I don't really have anything to offer you today, my friend. We're Antioch West, we're a virtual church. I can't offer you I can't even invite you right now to a church gathering. You're welcome to visit one of our small groups. I can't give you Jesus in a beautiful picture. I can't give you Jesus in a scripted, wonderful story. I can give you a house with a hole in the roof. But I can give you Jesus right where you are, right in your living room, right in your car, wherever you're watching this this morning or at another time, I can give you Jesus. And if you get Jesus, he's not asking you to step into his world. He wants to come into your world. For God so loved the world that he gave. God did not ask for us to get into his world. God wanted you to know how important you were that he came to be in your world. So God's right there where you are right now. If you would just ask him and talk to him, you don't need a mechanism of a preacher and music and a church to help you. He's as real right now as he can be. If you would just say, God... I want you, and you're the most important thing to me. If you would pray that right now, you would begin to feel the power and the presence and love of Jesus Christ begin to touch you. I can't pray it for you. Hopefully, I'm like one of those guys. By my faith, I've carried you here, but now it's time for you to stop looking at me and turn to realize that Jesus is right there. But if you reach out, you'll know the reality of who he is. Would you do it? Simple prayer, simple asking. Maybe just simply say the words, Jesus. 
But if you would do that right now, you begin to feel God respond. Do it in your own way, however you feel comfortable. But would you just ask him to help you? Say, God, I want to be right with you. I want to be right with you. I want you and I to be right. I want my sins forgiven. I want to be in right standing with you. I don't want there to be anything between you and I. And if there's something that pops in your head, don't dismiss it. Say, okay, God, I don't want that to be more important. And if you would do that, you're going to begin to feel his presence, his love begin to surround you. And when that happens, nothing else matters. Would you do that? Even after we turn off this broadcast, don't let this broadcast be the end of your pursuit. Let it be the launching of a whole new passion for Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name.